Welcome to the Seat Go Create podcast. This is Tim Wenders, your host. I am a coach for business owners, executives, and leaders. My wife and I consider ourselves nomads. We currently travel, live, and work in our 39-foot RV. In fact, my portion of this podcast is being recorded from the passenger seat of my mobile office. The RV is all behind me. So anyway, I do want to encourage you, make sure you listen to the very end of the podcast. We'll include ways that you can continue the conversation that we start today by by connecting with us directly. As always, we have a phenomenal guest for you today. We have Matt Zinman as our guest. I'm, it's always cool when I have someone who their last name starts with a letter that means they would stand in the alphabet behind me being Winders. So we've got a Zinman here, which is, which is cool. Matt is the author of the book Zisms. We're going to talk a great deal about that. He's a nonprofit founder, wellness advocate, and just an all-around difference maker. Matt, welcome to the Seat Go Create podcast. Thank you, Tim. It's great to be with you. Yeah. First of all, before we get going, we're recording this in, I guess, spring-ish, late April of 2020. I just want to ask everybody, you know, how are you doing? Is is everybody well and all in your family? Hopefully. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, I talk about well, you're talking about you're talking to me, or you're talking to everybody who's listening. Everybody listening. Yeah. I mean, right, everybody's good. Right. You look healthy. You look good. So safe. All right. Good. First question I like to ask, like I said, I think I prepped you for this, Matt. Elevator pitch. You know, we're on an elevator. We've got 10, 15 seconds. I look over and say, hey, what do you do, Matt? What do you do? Well, I am the founder of a nonprofit called the Internship Institute. We work with employers to set up internship programs. And I recently just published a personal development book called Zisms: Insights to Live By. So being an author is my, my primary job right now. Excellent. Excellent. And we're going to do a deep dive into that book. I recently finished reading it. In fact, late yesterday and highlighted it, marked it up, have a lot of questions. And I think they're going to be very appropriate for now. One of the things I guess I want to circle back to though, and, uh, and this is kind of from some things I read about you. Uh, I mentioned how the family's doing, but I do like to, at this time, maybe just kind of do a touch base. You, you mentioned in the book, your wife, Erica, and how awesome she is superstar and spoke highly of her. And then you said something that was kind of cool. You said, you mentioned your teens. I think it was Jake and uh, Jake and Greta. Greta. Yeah. And, and, and you said something about, they think outside the box or different things, something, I can't remember the exact wordings, but tell us about your family before we dig into your book. Sure. Thank you. So uh, I think keep me on my toes. Maybe, maybe that was, you know, not unlike probably, I'm sure a lot of parents out there with uh, savvy teenagers. Um, yeah. My son, Jake, uh, is, uh, is 19 and he just started university and, and now he's home with all the other university students with what's going on. Uh, my, my stepdaughter, Greta, is 15. Uh, it was actually just yesterday that uh, my wife and I got engaged. So, you know, we sent that picture out, that iconic picture, the, probably the last time I'm ever going to surprise her as well as I did. So just reminisce about that. And yeah, we're just, we're just playing a lot of poker and games and things like that these days <laughs> uh, as everyone else makes the same adjustments. Yeah. So you guys are, y'all are, you know, staying safe. You're staying home. Everybody, I don't think we're going to get negative here, but everybody getting along and all doing well. Are, are your kids in school? Are they out of high school or in school? Or uh, Well, my son, uh, Jake is, uh, goes to a local university. I'm near Philadelphia. And uh, he's he's winding down to his classes, and then Greta is a uh, is a junior in, in high school, and she uh, she's you know ad- adapting to being remote, just you know with a lot of other kids doing the same thing. Yeah, no, I've heard I've heard a lot from people they're bemoaning, I guess, no proms, no schooling, and uh, you know, I, I guess I, I feel for them. That's not great, but uh, you know, it's just part of part of what we're in, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, the things that bring us joy that we don't have right now, uh, you know, there's no way around it. it. It stinks. And you can't just ignore that. But what, what can we do to, to make other th- great things happen in the absence of the things that we can't do? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just where we are right now. And, you know, who knows what it's going to look like in the future. And those are some things I want to really drill down when we get to your book. But there's, there's a few things that were in your resume and some of the things I looked at that 
they just were really fascinating to me and intrigued me and I wanted to talk more about them. And one is the, the whole aspect of internships. I think you have a lot of expertise in that. And I was just fascinated kind of reading and, and seeing some things about that. How did you get started working in that arena? Sure. Thank you. Well, you know, when you say internships and people think, oh, is that this or is it an apprenticeship or work-based, you know, we're just going to lump it all together. We're talking about work-based learning of those who are not yet professionals or in the work field, still in school, who are getting real work experience. And I did that myself uh, in, uh, in high school and college and uh, worked for Warner Brothers Studios. I worked for the Philadelphia Phillies. And, and then I worked for a, a public relations agency that ended up leading to my first job. So I very early learned the value of, of internships uh, and, 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 and having that special place in my heart for them. Uh, always went back to the schools and, and, and spoke to uh, students at area universities and then ran internship programs for my employers. And I worked for marketing and PR firms that first, uh, that first phase of my career. And then in 2002, I, I started my own agency and did that for a few years and then was looking for something to step into entrepreneurially. And the uh, internship space seemed uh, you know, quite the frontier and it really aligned with my experience in, in working with so many interns and my, you know, my passion and my skill set. And uh, I set out in 2005 and started there and then transitioned into forming the nonprofit, the Internship Institute in, in 2007. Yeah, excellent. You know, when my father has a background in vocational education. And one of the things that was always... You know, it kind of annoyed, it, annoyed us at times and something he always tried to promote was the aspect of learning a skill while you're involved with, you know, like you said, work-based learning, which there's a lot of people that they do that better than let's just call it, you know, formal learning in a classroom or, or, or whatever. And, and obviously his were more trades related. And there's a term that he used to use called apprenticeship that is probably a little bit different, but it, is it related? I guess internship sounds a little more professional. You know, apprenticeship would be like if I'm working with a plumber or electrician or, you know, a, a mason sure. or something like that. What, what are your, you know, he, he really wishes we would have more of that in our culture and society. Right. Well, the answer to your question really depends on where you are in the world. If you're over in Europe, an apprenticeship is really very universal. It's part of the education system. Uh, Germany, Switzerland probably do it best. And you know, right early in uh, K through 12, by the time they get to 10th grade, it's, you know, do I want to be going to the trades? Do I want to be going into the professional realm? Uh, here in, in the US, North America in particular, you're right, there's a kind of that separation between apprenticeships being associated with the trades. And there are some very specific requirements around them uh, by trade in order to uh, advance and matriculate someone through that experience. And Look, I mean, there's no substitute for experience. There's only certain things you can learn uh, without doing them. And certainly the trades and apprenticeships uh, apply uh, perhaps most to, to that statement. And it's, it's starting to broaden. Like if you look at categories like uh, cybersecurity, um, coding, things that you might not consider hardcore trades, those, those are starting to formulate into apprenticeships. But look, go back to Ben Franklin here in the States and the rooting of, of our apprenticeship culture. You're right. I, I wish it was more prominent. It's, a, it's more of an uphill challenge than, than a downhill one. I love how you keep referencing Philadelphia, man. You keep pulling us back to Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, right. Ben Franklin right. and all that. Are you, are you a native? Are you from Philadelphia originally? I am. I am, yeah. I, I've always been in and around the city, lived in the city for some years, went to Temple University, uh, the major urban uh, college and uh I'm, I'm philly through and through flyers fan <laughs> where do you want me to stop where do you want me to stop well uh, yeah i so here's I, i'm from atlanta and there's two things that are kind of cool uh i went to georgia tech and i think we just swiped y'all's uh football coach uh uh collins i think we brought him from temple is that correct am i getting that right i'm gonna go along with you on this one <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me about ice hockey, I might, I might do yeah, better. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but there's another thing that kind of is just in my mind, and this is a horrible image, but I remember uh, years ago, it was, a, I'm pretty sure it was an Eagles game, 
and because the the Philly people are passionate is what I what seems like. And you know, we were we grew up in Atlanta and we were kind of like meh, you know, our football team was meh. We got a good baseball team after a period of time, but and and I remember I think I remember it was the Eagles fans that attacked Santa Claus one year. And that's kind of like become legend. Is that blown out of proportion? I mean, did they really attack Santa Claus? I'm going to take the fifth on this one. <laughs> I think it's probably the best way to go. Some things you just never live down. Uh, that would be one of those incidences. I was not there. I will just say that I had nothing to do with it. Okay. Some people right, just good. give us all a bad name. What are you going to say? You yeah, got to bring yeah, it up, yeah, yeah. don't you? You have to just, you're a competitive I, I, I wanted, guy. I can tell. I wanted to go there because one of the things that I love to do, Matt, is I love to dig down and see what defines people when they come out with a great success book like you've done, because I don't think people roll out of bed with that kind of wisdom. And so I think you learn things along the way, good, bad, some might be a little ugly, you observe things around you. So anyway, that's why I'm going there. Speaking of that, it seems as if from reading the book that hockey did have a big impact to you now on, on you. And I will tell you this, I know nothing about hockey. So just Great. give I us like a that. glimpse. Yeah. Give us a glimpse of what I grew up in the South. We didn't even know what ice was, you know? So, so what, um, what kind of impact did hockey have on your, you know, formation, your mindset and, and really a lot of who you are right now? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It remains to this day. Well, uh, a uh, fun fact, I was born on the day the Philadelphia Flyers played their first game. Same exact age as the team. So it was destined, right? And, and back then, in those early years, as I was you know, six, seven years old, that's when they won the Cup. It's the last time they won the Cup. So it's not really a braggier thing as much as it had an influence on me at the time. And uh, my parents had season tickets, and you know, I wanted to play. And there are a lot of lessons I've learned along the way in one way, shape, or form. Uh, and the first one I learned quite early in that first, uh, that first clinic I did where I could barely stand on my blades. And uh, there were older kids on the ice, and one of them uh, took a slap shot. And we didn't have face cages back in those days. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it curved and uh, found its way and broke my jaw three places. And uh, I, I, I can more easily say that with pride now, right? But the, the, the pride for my poor mom. <laughs> but the, uh, the prideful part is that I, I didn't quit. And, and that I got back up, it was important to me to, to, to con continue to play. And it's something that's brought me so much joy, right, through, through my, my playing days and friendships and high school and college. And, you know, I'm still in beer league now. I still play. So as long as I can lace up the blades, you know, I've got a plan to go to 90, in my 90s, maybe even longer. So they do. So is it literally called the beer league, or is that just how you guys affectionately refer to it? It's it's an affectionate. But yeah, I know I have a couple of groups of guys. That, you know, I play a couple of times a week. I'll sub in for some teams, and on the Fridays we, uh, you know, it becomes a social. So um, I'm missing that right now. I must tell you. You know, a lot of a lot of people say that team sports is one of the best training grounds for leadership, and you know taking action and being part, uh, being accountable and all. I mean, give us some of the lessons. I know there's a number of them you mentioned in the book and I'm highly recommending people get the book and we'll include links and we're going to talk about some specifics in a minute, but really uh, what are some things you have gained from just being a part of a team sport for now more than a few years, right? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, once you do something like that and anybody who, with hockey or anything else, or it doesn't even have to be a sport to that degree, but it, whatever's in your blood, right? You know, that anchor, um, you know, and for me, that's hockey. And uh, there's just been that, that common thread of, of helping me prove myself and, you know, my young, uh, my younger years and, and earning respect. And uh, you know, I played in some great experiences I had, I played on team USA in my, uh, in my uh, late teens and having that experience, you know, we're you know, representing uh, the country and, uh, just some of the best times, you know, growing up and doing the trainings up in Canada and the best experiences of my life. And then even to this day, uh, you know, can, can point to it as, as, you know, one of the loves of my life. Yeah, that's good. 
So one of the things I like to ask people is I, I think we're also defined by maybe some of the things that we experienced growing up, growing up in that area, which is a really cool part of the country, by the way. I love the history of, of Philadelphia and just, you know, in many ways, that's, that is the birthplace of our country. And, uh, but what were some of the things that you would say were extremely positive about growing up there? And then I like to give the flip side, what are some things that might've been a struggle that you had to overcome just because of the area or, or, or the geography or just something maybe, maybe around you there, the culture? That's a great question. Uh, well, for one, we are a sports town. And so if you're talking about the culture of the city and being passionate and uh, that's, that's something that's not just in my blood. I think a lot of people around here in one way, shape or form really uh, have a passion for, uh, for something and it's a bonding uh, in, in that way. Um, huh. You know, Tim, this is a really good question. I, I don't know that I've ever faced it specific to the geography of my city, positive and negative. Uh, I'm going to go with change of seasons. I do love the change of seasons. And uh, I guess the negative is when I have to shovel snow. How's that? Yeah, the seasons can get That's a safe, safe answer. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty safe. All right. I guess, I guess I'll let that one, that one go. So I, I um, appreciate it. You know, uh, there's, there's, all right. So the, the other thing that I'll, I'll ask you that might maybe dig a little deeper in, in the book, you referenced the low point in 2013. You also talked a lot about growing up and listen, th we're recording this at a time where we really don't know where things are going with the economy. There's still actually a lot of, uh, uh, the virus is still spreading in some areas. I think it's been leveled off. And, and I think that it's really valuable to, to talk about how we've overcome some challenges because there's people that are going to be listening to this or, or, or just out there that we may have some tough times. And so I'm going to ask you maybe if, to share whatever you're comfortable with, you know, you mentioned it a low point and you talk about your parents. In fact, you dedicated the book to, I think your dad and your mom and your brother, David. So right. what can you share with about that? And then I promise that after that, we're going to start going into Zisms and some specific things that you talk about there. But to me, this is actually probably foundational to the book. Some of the things related to this. Right. Well, I, you know, what are the, the things that you're referring to certainly have a lot to do with, you know, that what, you know, what shapes us, um, you know, one thing on the personal side and you started to allude to it and, and there is a lot of personal, I, I thought it was very important to, to share, you know, a lot of these personal disclosures that I'd never, you know, had been very private you know, up until uh, just publishing. And uh, one of them is that uh, I've had to contend with depression since my early teens. And uh, you know, it, it is very relevant right now and, and something that I do, I would like to come back and, and, and speak to, uh, for those listening who are who are faced with some of the challenges that they're going through, um, another was a, a very tragic event in my uh, in my early twenties. My um, my mom she um, had a routine surgery and the blood hadn't been screened; it was tainted, and she contracted HIV. And you know those years with her, and uh, you know in terms of being a caretaker and my being the youngest of four I was really most with my parents at the time and you know she got the worst of it you know at the very worst time and and so that's you know you that's something that's just so in, in, intense that you know you always have that with you um, and my my brother David now later in life we're talking about leading into uh, 2013 and in 2012 and he uh, you know, he had some surgeries and, and, and um, got involved with pain medication, opioids, and, and uh, he, you know, he checked out um, at, at that point. So, uh, you know, these various things, and we didn't get the best gene pool. You know, my parents also, uh, you know, suffered from uh, my mom from depression. My dad was bipolar. So, you know, there's a lot, I'm, I'm not trying to have a competition here with anybody in any way, yeah. shape or form, but, you know, to your question, you know, we all have all these kinds of things in our lives that, um, you know, we can point to 
uh, very strongly and and in a negative way, and at the same time, the things that also bring us strength in the in the present. Yeah. Did 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 any of those, I guess, things is that is that what drove you to write this book? I mean, one of the things I'm an author too. I just finished up a novel, and I'm I'm really intrigued with the people that make that they cross the barrier between really wanting to write a book, which they say around 87% of the people out there really want to write a book to the much smaller percentage that actually do it. What pushed you over that threshold? Sure. So there, there are a few factors that, that, are there right so for one i'm in i didn't realize their percent was that high i guess i was certainly in that percent for some time um i've been wanting to write for uh, about 15 years um i'm i'm a journalism degree i mean i've done a lot of writing through my career so it's it it's not something that's foreign to me but there are certain concepts that i've 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 come to form through life experiences that i feel were important to share uh, that I, I've had a personal responsibility to, you know, get it in writing and and put this all together. And you know, one of the purposes of the book is really about kind of leads up to defining your why, right, and making it actionable and that purpose. And then how do you go and and achieve that? And one of the ways that there's a lot of questions, right, and having that personal conversation through through the writing. One of which is, what would you regret not doing? Right. So if you ask that 87 percent how many of them would then bring that book up? Well, for me, it certainly was, you know, at the top of the list. And uh, I, you know, I'm in my fifties now. So I guess I reached, uh, I reached a little bit of seasoning. Can you relate? We're Tim? mature. We're, we're, we're mature. mature. <laughs> we're going to use, we're not going to say we're old. We're going to say we're mature. Yeah, and, I, no, no. and I said some, something to someone the other day, I said, yeah, it's interesting. I'm 56. It's interesting when you, when you reach middle age and I think I might've done it on social media and it is amazing. The number of people that pounced on that and said, middle age. I mean, yeah, that's my reaction. Age. I'm a kid. What are you talking I'm healthy. about? Healthy. I've got wisdom now, <laughs> finally a little bit of wisdom. And so we're just right. now getting started. Don't you think? To say the least, I've never felt better. So <laughs> middle age is a good thing. If that's where we are, I like it. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, I, I think that pretty well answers the, the, the question and, and, you know, there's no other way but through, you know, something that's effortful, you know, a year ago and putting my head down and, and, you know, not letting up. So. Yeah. How, this might be for me as opposed to anyone listening, but how tough was it for you to write? Because I joke with people, these two fingers, you know, wrote, you know, 70,000 words in my book. And wow. usually it was two fingers pecking it and then backspace, backspace, backspace to, to correct it. But, but, uh, but how, how tough is, it? I mean, are you a writer, you're journalism. So does that mean you're journalism. a writer? Is that in your, your I am, genes? You know, this is a different kind of writing uh, in yeah. terms of this you know, genre of a book as compared to all the business writing I've done, such as for the, uh, for the Institute, I could write a lot of books on internships, but I'm not sure how many people would buy it. So I, I haven't really gone that, you know, down that route, uh, you know, to answer your question. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd say that, you know, funny enough, when I, when I first started out with it, I didn't really just kind of set myself to, I'm doing this now. Right. It kind of was like, you know, I really should kind of put pen to paper. These things are in my head. And I wrote for about two days straight. And I look back and I was, you know, I had a lot to show for it. And I'm like, oh, I did it. Right. You know, that was the first, first reaction. I'm like, wait a second. No, no, I'm not even close. It was all these things that, uh, that, uh, you know, weren't there. And, and it, it took, it took another year to, uh, to see it all the way through. So, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, what it was with that first part, Tim. It was, I already did too much not to, not to keep going, right? That's kind of what I, what happened for me, and uh, so it was that combination. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't, you don't want to start doing this mental ping pong and saying, huh, maybe it shouldn't be a book. Maybe it's just a blog post. <laughs> You know? Right. Or a, little, or a little blog post and then another one. Yeah. And then another one. You can or, do that. There are chapter books out there. People do yeah. that. Or maybe it's just a social media post or maybe it's just a Twitter <laughs> feed. <So. laughs> anyway, Twitter, well, the Facebook. well, I'll tell you, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the book. Part of my prep uh, when I'm, uh, you know, building up to an interview is I try to read and study and spend time. So I have read the book. 
And I can tell that you're quite the reader. You reference a few Malcolm Gladwell books, Tipping Point and um, Outliers. And so you, you, you're a pretty uh, steady reader yourself. You know, actually, it's funny that when, when people ask me about the book, uh, and I think, well, who would want to read it? And as well, if you like Malcolm Gladwell, if you like like a Rhonda Byrne, you know, the, the secret and some of the things around law of attraction too, that combination uh, is something that would draw people to it. But the fact of the matter is, no, I actually don't. In more recent years, I don't do a lot of reading because I'm so busy with, uh, with the nonprofit. I do so much writing, you know, my head's deep in these other things that I don't get to do a lot of pleasure reading or, or things like that. But in the other sense, because I haven't done or, or read too much in the personal development genre, I know that whatever this is has to be different because I have no frame of reference to say, oh, you know, it's a little bit different from this one or different from that one. I have no idea. So uh, I know, uh, you know, for however long people, you know, hear this, hear this uh, recording, the book just came out a few weeks ago. So at this point, right? So I'm just so grateful that you, uh, you know, you took the time and, and dug in and read the book and, uh, you're one of the first people, one of the first readers I get to hear back from. So this is a great experience for me. <laughs> Good. I'll give you some feedback because I guess there is this thought I'm, as I've been writing also, I'm going, you know what? I'm just going to write this book and I'm going to put it out there. And if anybody reads it, that's going to be awesome. But I'm just kind of doing it for myself. Did those thoughts ever go through your mind? It's like, you know what? I want people to read it and I expect them to. But if they don't, so anyway, <laughs> any of those thoughts? No, I actually had the opposite thought, quite honestly, because uh, you know, once I started studying it and the real numbers out there, like I learned something today about the high percent of people who want to write a book. But the reality is most people who write books don't necessarily write them to sell a lot of them. They write them, you know, for business and things like that as a calling card or media interviews and, and whatnot. Yes. They're, not, they're not looking right. So that's not the case with me. Uh, you know, the purpose of the book is to positively impact as many people as possible. So uh, you know, this is out of my pocket. I don't have some associated coaching business that I'm trying to grow with it. Uh, I literally, you know, want anyone who, who is taken to hearing about it and go check it out and see if you want to read on kind of thing. Right. That's, that's my goal. I'm literally going for it. And there's a, there's a very, very small percent of, of authors or books that like less than 1%, including the big publishing houses that do well. Not to, to discourage pop, anybody, pop but those are the statistics. Yeah, you're correct. Well, I mean, it does. I mean, listen, it establishes so much credibility. It, it allows us to have these conversations because right. probably it would be tough to do. And, and listen, I'll, I'll encourage you to build a business around the book. I believe you have one there. That's actually what I do is I help people put, put coaching or training. Speaking may not be the thing to do with conferences, but, but doing not things right, online right, yeah. and, and all will be great. So, all right, so let's, let's sure. go into it. First thing, all right, title of the book, I want everybody to know is Zism's Insights to Live By. First question, what is a Zism? Right. Well, that is the natural question I, that, that people <laughs> might ask. It almost asks itself. Um, so, Obviously, I have a thing for the letter Z. You mentioned it. I'm always at the back of the class, whether it was a trauma or an affinity, you know, no, but, but there are other aspects to, to why the Z isms, but it's not just about me. We're talking about pearls of wisdom and, and, and experiences and insights that anyone has with the purpose, whether it's about a book or, or just, you know, something their, their parents or grandparents taught them that are passed down and, and those kinds of life wisdoms, things they find themselves saying over to to people to, to, to make that point. Um, that's what a Zism is. It's an insight to insight to live by and uh, try to capture what I could uh, in, in the book. Sure. And just, just as a quick overview, I've actually got two or three that I'm going to ask some deeper questions about, okay. but give us just a, an overview of some of the Zisms that people will experience in the book. I did, I do not actually have the table of contents in front of me, but, but I've got my notes. So just tell us a little bit about Sure. The Zisms that people are going to hear, hear about. Sure. I could tell you a little bit about the table of contents. It's like, it's right here. It's right here. I would think you could, but <laughs> you would hope put you so. on the spot. You would hope so. Oh no. What is that? Uh, what do I do now? So oh, no. no, no trick question. Yeah, no, thank you, Tim. I, I, you know, when people hear Zisms or an isms, they think, oh, it's a quip or it's a book of quotes or no, it's, it's not what it is. Right. It, it, you've read it. It's a, it's a full fledged book. And uh, certainly it has those kinds of call outs throughout to reinforce the writing, but 
But we're talking about both personal development for you know self-discovery um, in and around mindfulness. And, uh, and we, we, there we talk about, we can come into things like earned confidence and perception and uh, mood management, mood health, those sorts of things, but also about relationships and sizing people up and understanding how to deal with certain things circumstantially and having, you know, a positive tribe around you, right? Kind of, then we get into the, some things around greater awareness and, um, swimming with the current, you know, going with the flow, managing energy. We have some fun with, uh, with uh, making coincidences matter, meaningful. Um, if you're, you have a thing for 11-11, a lot of people like when they catch 11-11, right? That moment yeah. of I flow, that. a chapter on that. But again, the idea is for it to be actionable. So it kind of tails off with that winning the battle within and being able to personalize uh, that, that life enrichment action plan, that leap. Right. I didn't even try to count how many questions were asked throughout the book, but I'm sure that you experienced and, and people will know what resonates with them or not. And right. it could, it could be something where like, well, I'm, I really want to get into personal development and it'll give them that framework, or it could just be a tune up or it could just be a la carte, right? Something that doesn't sure. have to be so, so big and, and grand. There was, was something that? that, something that triggered me. I actually have some notes of specific things, but I'm, and I, I don't mean to seem distracted, but I pulled up my iPad to go through my highlights because there was something that I wanted to ask about. Uh, I'll go ahead and, and, and kind of warn you. I'm going to, I'm going to go a little bit deeper in the chapter on prevention. Um, okay. And especially a statement you made about how we raise our children. And I know you've got teenagers, I've got grown children, but, but there was something I wanted to back up to because it was just, you know, I was sitting here thinking through this, what was this like? And I actually meant to ask it earlier when I was asking about how you were raised, you said that you were raised Jewish and you attended a Catholic high school and you were kind of stating it as like, you're not a trained theologian and all that. But I was going to ask similar question that I asked earlier is what does that do for a kid? All right, you're raised, and, and you know, I know a little bit about the Jewish faith as a follower of Christ. I've studied Old Testament scriptures and, and studied some of the festivals and, and those. But then also Catholic high school has this, this odd culture. Well, Temple's a Catholic school, isn't it? Isn't it? No, no, no. Temple's a That's straight right. uh, urban university. <laughs> straight on urban. Okay, good. Yeah. Straight on. No, they don't get involved with that mess. So, uh, boy, did that did that create any conundrums for you? Raised Jewish, Catholic high school, or did you just breeze right through it playing hockey and never never thought about it? Well, I would never say it was a breeze right through it scenario. That's <laughs> <laughs> almost, that's, uh, yeah. So, you're, of course, uh, you know, my family's Jewish and I was raised in you know, for those familiar, I was bar mitzvahed, right? That whole thing. And, and um, I, I, I can't, uh, I can't claim to speak on behalf of the entire culture of any, any way, shape or form. But the, the truth is, is that I, uh, and just a part of a, a life experience and being the youngest of four, and I'm, I'm five years behind my brother, David. And so it was just me and my parents and we, we moved and I, we, from all my friends and, and the high school I was going to without needing to get into much detail was just upside down. And I was having a, a hard time adjusting. And of course I had, you know, back to the question early on, some very good friends I played club hockey with. Um, the high school uh, were, were city champions the year before. And, and I, I was, uh, it was a mutual recruitment. I was actually the first Jewish person to um, go into this archdiocese. Um, and so it was a, it was a new, th it was, no, it wasn't easy at first. I can tell you that it was not easy. So we're going back to 1981 right now. So kind of different times, but like I said, hockey was the big sport of the school and, uh, I had some good friends and I was well anchored in that way. And it was much better. It really straightened me out. I I'll tell you, you know, I, a public school versus that school that I couldn't be more grateful in terms of uh, the academic adjustment I had to make and, and even more some of the discipline. I won't claim to have never gotten any demerits though. I was going to say, were you like just the model or, and, and I'm sure that they welcomed the Jewish kid with open arms and said, Oh, look, we've got a Jewish kid coming to our Catholic school. I'm sure there was no friction or animosity at all. Right. Uh, you could detect the sarcasm in my voice. Right. Right. Well, fortunately, the lockers weren't big enough to fit me into, so <laughs> that that was probably to my benefit. No, I mean, look, I I took some heat, and and who won, right? And and that's just part of uh, 
part of another life uh, development. Yeah. You know, I, I, got, right, so that, I think I probably earned my thick skin there. How's that? So that actually is a great segue into this question from chapter three on prevention. There's a lot of great things in this, but there was one statement that jumped out at me that I highlighted. And the statement says, it is crucial to know when you do a little less or not make things easy for our kids. They need to be able to thrive without their parents. And, and I know that you're a parent and we're in a society where generation, 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 it seems like all of us have worked hard to remove the struggle from our children. Right. And so I just wanted you to maybe talk more about that. I think you probably see a lot of this with the interns you work with. You probably right. have experienced it a lot with your kids. And, and it's, it's something that my wife and I discuss quite a bit. And we also wonder if we've helped it or hurt it as parents. You know, we look at our children and they're great. They work with us in business and they do great things. But we also say, huh, has it been too easy on them? And that's the reason I ask it right after I asked you the question about probably going through struggle and I'm guessing your parents didn't show up in the doorstep of the school and say, Hey, stop being mean to little Matt, you know, be nice to him. We didn't deal with that yeah. in the early eighties, late seventies. No. It was like, take it. And those were different. Uh, it was hands-off parenting, right? That was the other yeah. side of the pendulum at that time. It was and so, and maybe come back before dark. Right. But yeah, I mean, honestly, Tim, you, you're really hitting on, uh, that nugget, right? That the very specific part of the book, that, that very one line, I, I can understand why that struck you because there is a lot behind it. And, and also you're right that, you know, part of the motive for the book was somewhat around what I wish my younger self knew, right? And working with all the interns and seeing, you know, really what they're not prepared for in going out into the real world. Uh, and, and though I, you know, this book is, I'm not sure that people that age would be reading this book per se, but you know, it's in there. And, and as a parent, um, you know, I was a single parent for some time and, you know, there were some advantages to that in terms of the, the, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, just the enriching time that I have my son half the time. And, and, and yet, you know, maybe he got it, had it a little too easy from us in part because of that. And that, that's just us. I, I won't, you know, every parent is their own, you know, is that any parent the way that they do. But as I reflected, you know, now that he's in college and I, I also, you, you recall, I included a letter that I wrote to him and I want to get through to him. Like I like to write things down because he's, he's better to read than to listen. Right? Who's not in this way, but upon like reflection, like my son, my son is now um, at that age, you know, I, he's out of the nest per se. And I only have so much influence on him at this point. What could I have done better? And the answer to that, I should have said, go figure it out a lot more. Go figure yeah. it out yourself. So I think that for, for when it comes to the point that you made about doing less and making things too easy for our kids, we do kind of want to do that, right? That makes us feel like good parents, and I can understand that. But our job is also to make them self-sufficient. And, uh, and, and any time that they're looking for some help, where I think the first question I really should have been asking myself more often was, is this something they can do on their own? And, and you know what, go figure it out. <laughs> this isn't something I need to help you with. And if you're a parent out there and you say that to your kids, nice job. Nice yeah. job. Right. I'm going to ask you a little bit more about that letter because I think I highlighted the whole thing and mm -hmm. I didn't, I couldn't find a specific, but I might give you to maybe summarize it and give a few points in just a second. But I wanted to mention something about that. I'm a, I'm a new grandparent at the time of recording this, I guess wow. I'll still be new at the awesome. time of it being released, but our daughter sent a video to us the other day of our granddaughter attempting and struggling to do the first raise up and roll over. And it was loud. It was noisy. She was grunting. She was straining. Our granddaughter was not our daughter, but our granddaughter was. And I was watching this short little snippet that our daughter sent to us on, um, you know, via text. And I'm looking at it and I'm watching the struggle of this 10 week old baby pushing up and just and making noise and then finally rolling over. And I looked over at my wife. I said, what does that look like for a 10 year old child? 
what does that look like for a 20 year old? What does it look like for grown children that right. we have? Is that kind of, kind of. Yeah, that's well said. I'm also glad you clarified that it was your granddaughter and not your daughter. I felt the need to do that. <laughs> that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Game changer, by the way, just game in prepping you for things in the future. It is a game changer, but I bet. All right. So I'm going to turn the tables on you. So are you grandpa, grandpa, what are you going with? What's the decision? All right. Poppy? So, so I was going to be, uh, uh, something really cool and hip like T dog, Tim T dog. <laughs> but right. then, but then as we started developing, of course, you know, when they start calling names, it could be who knows what I think I'm going with T Diddy. T D I D I. Yeah. So wow. again, maybe trying to be too cool and hip, but what I'm doing really is I'm giving her options. So if it's D or T or T D, then she'll have different things that she can say. So we'll just let her pick up on it. So what wow. do you think? Is that, is that going to be okay? Or am I, or am I messing up? I think you'll find out soon enough, but I will say, and I can't speak to this personally, but my understanding is that those who are cool and hip don't have to try. Oh, dang, man. You just ripped, <laughs> ripped me to shreds. <laughs> well, you know, you did go for my sports team earlier. I'm yeah. Just yeah. All right. Touche. All right. We're, we're maybe we, maybe we're in a back, back on track. We'll get back on. Maybe track. we're back on track. Actually, we're having fun. That's what's going on here. So, all right, I'm going to jump to chapter four. Gosh, for sure. There's a statement in chapter four that I also think is very societal uh, that I highlighted. And it's something like you said, something feels real does not make it true. And it seemed like somewhat of a foundational principle. Maybe we could kind of go into uh, is someone a victim? Are they a victor? Do they perceive things as always out? I mean, there's a lot that we could read into it. I just wanted right. to kind of, you know, throw the the softball or the puck your way with the soft one and let you hit it wherever you want to by explaining right. more about that i think that there's a lot in our society that that people's feelings are really ruling and dominating sure. all that they are so talk to us more about that sure so there are um you mind if i pull back on that question a little bit and just not at all a framework for it so not at all. there are um what i would just describe broadly as certain filters that we have in terms of our experiences any given moment and and uh and engaging with uh with individuals in the world around us so one of them is earned confidence which um is is really a, very much at the foundation of the book uh which essentially says we've been through everything we've been through and so it, it there's a, a fair fairly good chance which is to say you absolutely will get through everything that there is to come including what's happening now so being present instead of having your 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 thought patterns being you know around worry and anxiety and stress that's one filter right you don't want to be anywhere else but in the right now and then you've got mood health and we've talked about that just a little bit where whether you're feeling a little down or something that's going to affect you know where you know what you're experiencing and then we're talking here about perception itself and it's just a matter of trying to be objective and recognize stepping back and, you know, how do I take in information? We have a constant flow of information, you know, we're bombarded at all times. And so how do we know when, in terms of anything that we experience and that we look to as, oh, that's the truth, when it's really not, it's your interpretation, right? There's no such thing as 100% truth because our perception with all that's coming at us all the time can't possibly do a hard stop, right? right? on those kinds of things. So it, it, part of that, there are a couple aspects to that. And let's put it a little bit more in the practical side of things. So in a relationship, in a circumstance, even in an argument, you know, and, and you decide, well, you know, two people think that they're right about something. It doesn't mean that either one of you are wrong. Right. So two rights don't make a wrong. We can call that a Zism. Is that is that fair? We'll throw yeah, that let's throw okay. Zism on that. Good. So, but we but we also looked at tools. We want to be practical, and so one of the things that uh, you know was a, actually a late entry is at the end of that chapter is this perception snapshot. And if I could talk about that for just a minute, sure, sure. Um, I think it's really important right now, as a matter of fact, because 
this is easy enough to visualize as, as, as a left column where you really just compartmentalize different aspects of our lives, right? So in the far up top, top left, you've got, are my basic life needs met? Next, am I healthy? Is my family healthy? Has my, you know, my relationships, you know, on and on into my finances, into my job. And then to the right, you've got your positive and negative columns. So take a snapshot, just first instinct. If I was going to look at any one of these things right now, would I mark up a positive or negative? So hopefully, straight up, you're going to be in the positive column on having your basic life needs met and that you and yours are healthy. So just stop with that snapshot. Like root, that's when to be grateful. Right? You're, you're using this as a gratitude exercise and it's, and it's an objectivity exercise and it's important because it really is hard to lose. It's easy rather to lose sight of of uh of how things really are however you might want to define that so this is part of that redefining and then you go down that left column and then anything that you have in the positive column just stop and just what is it about that that you made that in the positive column and then over to the negative because i don't know hardly anybody who doesn't have anything over in the negative at any given time and then it's about putting it into perspective with what's happening now with covid for example it's definitely impacting a lot of us in any number of ways but if you uh, put that in the context of an earned confidence that we've already always made it through everything we all already have. Whatever this is, we're going to make it through this too. You know, is this the hardest thing we've ever had to go through in our lives? Probably not. Probably not. And and so okay, well then we're going to make it through this. And how do we make the best of it and turn the difficulty into an opportunity? You look at that right column and you say, is this permanent? How bad is this negative? Can I put it in the positive column tomorrow? Can I reframe how I look at this situation? That really puts things in perspective so that we're not really getting carried away, worrying about things or getting too stressed about things when, when the reality is, is probably that things are okay. And you know what? Honestly, Tim, that may not always be the case at any given time for us. There's grief. There's grief for real grief. There's grief over the things that had brought us joy that we can no longer do at this very time. Well, how do you replace that with something else? Like uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, getting on a, a video call with our friends or having a business meeting with, you know, a beverage of some sort to, uh, you know, in one hand or the other. And we have to find ways to compensate. So uh, I'll stop there. That's that's kind of well, where those filters, I, you know, intersect. Yeah, I'll I'll drag a little bit more out of that because I believe that that Matt, thanks for that because I, that's the reason I pulled this quote out. And now that you talk about it, it actually relates to what we discussed in chapter three. If we're in a society where our life has been so comfortable, we've never really had to go through strain and struggle. And then all of a sudden you mentioned the columns that we list out are the basic needs met. Currently there's a large number of people that are fearful for their health, their life, their loved ones. Right. And you know, at the time of recording this, I think the unemployment in our, in the United States, we've got a lot of international listeners too, but United States, 25 million in the last three or four weeks. So there's this financial piece. And, and in general, as society, I'm not sure that we're used to discomfort or struggle or challenge. I think everyone goes through it, but that might sure. be why I was asking this of you to maybe, maybe help almost minister to us in the time we are now with all this wisdom that you put in this book. Thank you. I never really thought of myself in, in that, in that role per se, but I really, it's really meaningful for me to have the opportunity to help because a lot of people are in that space and you're right. They, their threshold of comfort is definitely, you know, they're out of their comfort zone. And then so many people are, uh, you know, back home where, you know, they have no structure from what it is that all that, you know, change is not, doesn't really come easy for many people. And this is no different, right? So all these things are part of those moving parts uh, as well. Um, I guess in this moment, it really brings me back to, uh, for, my, for myself and, and referencing that I've had to manage depression in, in my whole life. And that it's something that a lot of people dance around for whatever reason and the discomfort of it. But the reality is that most of us individually have experienced that to some extent, one way, shape, or form for however long. And certainly every one of us is, I believe, has had someone close to us, a family member or a close friend who's had some serious mental health event. So as these things really came about 
or were alluded to at times in the book, I really felt it was important to not dance around it, to take it head on to put a chapter in there around, um, you know, managing mood health. And we, we, it's, it's another tool that you'll recall with that mood scale. Yeah. And it's kind of like that thermometer where you can define whatever it means to you to be at perfect balance or normal, happy, normal, sad. And you're like, I'm not here to, you know, no one's here to define that. But the, yeah. the, the, the point is, you know, what's the practical side of when you start, dry, when you start feeling low? And, and for me, just generically speaking, in terms of my life management, I have this like two to three day rule because I know that there's going to be bad weather day or something's going to happen or something's going to knock me down. I got to get back up. But then when I hit two days and I'm really starting to feel it and I'm starting to kind of sink a little bit, like you sink in quicksand with depression. If you, you know, if it, those who've experienced this know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's just a matter of stopping yourself from sinking deeper. So by day three, I really just don't give myself a choice. It's like, if you think of that moment of, you know, I got to work out. Like, I just really got to you know how hard that is. I mean, you know, for anybody who's in that, who's not in the workout mode and keep telling yourself how hard that is, this is at least five times harder. But you yeah. still can't give yourself a choice because once you sink deeper and deeper, uh, you're, in, you're in some serious trouble. And so, at least for me, and everyone's different, but I'm just talking about how I manage things practically. So that two to three day rule, you got to give yourself structure. You know, you really got to turn to your coping skills. What are the things that uplift you? Maybe it's listening to music. Maybe it's reaching out and talking to a friend who, who lifts you up. Um, structuring these kinds of video calls or, or taking a walk, you know, whatever that is, stop laying around. You just got to keep moving. You got to keep moving. So, and, and look, you know, there's, there's no perfect cure here either. There are people, and there's no, there's no shame in, in reaching out and if you need professional help. That's, yeah. you know, I mean, I talked about my brother and um that's uh you know could that have been prevented if if he got help and you know you'll never know but what i'll say to anybody and i have definitely been in the depths of despair um where that quicksand was way up to my neck um things won't always feel this way Hmm. you know if you're if you're really sunk that deep just hold on to that fact and as bad as you feel and as 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 much as your perception might be twisted because of, of the, of the mood um, imbalance, things actually might not be as bad as they seem. And even if they are, things will be better. Right. Right. Matt, I know, I know that when that darkness can creeps, creeps in, it's kind of the catalyst can be a number of things, but worldwide pandemic, just a constant flow of news of let's just say fear, death, um, potential economic collapse of <laughs> our our current structure. I mean, I, I'm not gonna like put things on a certain scale, hmm. but but what do those things do? And and I, I I would venture to say that there are people that are listening that have never maybe experienced some of the things you've talked about that may be now and they're not understanding how to cope. You just gave some great tips. So I guess it might be those same things, but any other wisdom there? And then I'm going to ask you a few things. I'm going to ask you about the letter to your son and one more question before we start wrapping up, but any other things there, because there is a high likelihood of despair, of darkness, of no hope, of, of, chaos of things are out of control and I hate to pile on here. I'm sorry, but, but those are some things that we are facing for those that are really looking at, at what's out there. You know, we're of the mindset, everything will be okay, but there's going to be an interesting road ahead of us. Talk to people that it might be starting to pile on. Right. So one thing that I want to refer to uh, broadly and then come back to is there is there's that that uh, focus on swimming with the current and the idea and, and this is just a matter of trusting your gut and your intuition that in my experiences in life that when I it's it's fairly rare but when you find yourself in a serious circumstance or you're trying to achieve something and you're just in that like you're you're like you're banging your head against the wall 
you, you know, your, your arms are getting tired, right? Or you're pushing that boulder up the hill and not have it roll back down on you, that sort of thing. You really have to stop and ask yourself what it means to turn around. What, how do I, are this, you know, look at it another way, right? Is this a door closing on me and I got to look for another one? And so for, you know, to your question, for people in certain occupations, lots, you know, millions of people uh, without work right now and having to rely on, on the benefits for, you know, what's possible there, to step back and, and, and be realistic about what's, what's happening. And you might be in a profession that might not recover for a longer period of time. And so it just comes down to surviving, surviving, right? We're survivors. And how do we be resourceful? And how do we turn that difficulty into the opportunity of where is that door that can open for me? If this one is, if I feel it, you know, shutting, and, and start moving in that direction because that's where the hope is, right? Rather than being idle, find, find that door to walk toward, whatever that is. And you might not have to walk to, toward it alone. Right? You're, we're not alone. Right? We can yeah. all reach out to people we know. But these are the kinds of things that we should be, um, that I think will find some, some comfort in exploring and some hope in pursuing. Yeah, that's really good. I, I know in 08, we went through, we had multiple companies that we lost after that downturn and eventually became homeless. And one of the things I did that I did poorly was I began disconnecting from people and I isolated myself. Part of it might be shame, part of it other things. And what you just said is powerful. Reach out to people. There's another statement that that you mentioned in the book that that might relate to this and might be a good place for us to begin wrapping. And then I'm going to ask you about that letter to your son, but it was what you expect tends to happen. What you expect tends to happen. And I think you even refer to it as almost the underlying theme for the entire book. Talk to right. us a little bit about that, maybe even make it current too with what we've been discussing, what you expect tends to happen. And then I'm going to ask you about that letter and we're going to wrap up. Sure, sure thing. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. It is one of the key underlying points in the book. And, you know, we, we kind of go from some of the, 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 the foundation of the practical things that we're talking about and going from mood health and physical health and on and on. And then we're getting up into some of the things around law of attraction. And, you, you know, by any other name, right? you can call this what you will, but what you, in general, I, sum, I summarize that as what you expect tends to happen. And so, and of course, you just said that, but yeah, did. Referring, <laughs> you did. Oh, that sounds familiar. But back to back, if, if you apply it to, let's say, what we talked about with earned confidence and worrying and worrying being an expectation of something that you don't want to happen. And then if it's actually true that what you expect tends to happen and you believe that you're contradicting yourself by worrying because your worrying literally could be causing the very thing that you don't want to happen. I know that's hard to, to walk away from because people want to hang on to that worry. It's even worse, Tim, if you're worrying about someone else. If this is true and you're not worried just for yourself, but you're worried about someone else. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Does that put them in danger? It's, it's a heady topic and, and it's one that it's not really solvable, but it's one that really does, I think, remind us to uh, just be present and know that we're capable of dealing with, with what's going on here and now. And just, you know, there's no other way, but through <laughs> a lot of these things. And it is matter of fact, and it's not, it's not devoid of emotion and things like that. I'm not trying to eliminate natural emotions, but just recognize that by and large, unless it's a clinical event, worrying and anxiety is really a lot of negativity that's completely unnecessary. And it's, yeah. you know, babies are not born warriors, right? Sure. We have to unlearn this, this trait. And, and that's what a lot of us have to do. Yeah, there's, and it's interesting in our family, there's kind of like this long line of warriors. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a scripture, I went to Bible college for a few years, a scripture called be anxious for nothing, which fits perfectly with what you're saying. And that is, listen, there is really no value in anxiety, worry, whatever, however you want to term it, even, and this is the tough thing, I think, for the time we're in, even when there's worldwide pandemic, there's economic situations, because there is nothing, there's really only a few things that are within our control right now. 
a lot of these things that we're looking at are really beyond all of that. And there's only a few things we can control. And you talked about what those are in the book and uh, which is, which is powerful. I want to, first of all, I'm, I'm highly recommending people get the book, but I want to, I want to uh, ask you a little bit more about the letter to your son, because I thought that was powerful in so many ways, but it had a lot of points to it. And, and truthfully, I didn't know which one to drill down on. So I don't know if you want to, I don't know if you want to share some of it with us generally. I don't know if you want to pick a point or two or just tell us it's in sure. the book, go get the book, whatever you want to do. I'm going to kind of leave that with you as kind of our last question before we start wrapping up. I, I could tell you I don't have that memorized, so I'm probably it's gonna go long. into the, the, the general area, right? Um, I would like to just say, if I may, just back back up for just a, one other comment or two about what we're going through right now. And you're right, we just don't have control. We don't have control, but we do have control over the things we have control over. And so we're gonna get through this, and then the question is how? That's the control we have. But the, the bigger question is, if we fast forward, because we are going to get through this, and we get to however long from now, and you want to look back at this time period, how do you want to remember it? Right? Did you, did you turn it to your advantage? Did you have enriching times with your family? Things that wouldn't have happened otherwise? How did you turn difficulties into opportunities? That, that's some of the foresight that can bring back into the present that can be, um, hopefully, uh, beneficial. So. Over to the letter to my son. Yeah. So, so my, so, so Jake, look, I, I think a lot of people with, uh, with kids that age can agree that it's not easy to get them to listen to serious conversation. Uh, I'm, I think I'm pretty normal in this way. And so one of the things that I do, and I don't do it too often, I do pick my moments. And this was, of course, the golden one, right, is write my son a letter. It's something that um, he doesn't have to be a good listener. I don't have to worry about what's going through his head. He's got it. If he doesn't get it the first time, he, he, uh, he has it as, as reference. And if nothing else, I did my part. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and he's going to do what he's going to do. And I think that it does cover a lot of ground, right? He's going off to college. I want him to have a great time, but I don't want him to be the biggest clown in the room. You know, you don't have to prove yourself in, in those kinds of ways. Uh, so, sure, I talked about that. But, you know, I, I, I really came down to kind of if you highlight everything, you know, I try to cover it all and be and be comprehensive because that was my chance. Right? You bring him to his dorm and like, here it is, you know, and uh, <laughs> I'm just kind of laughing at myself. I did get permission from him to put it in the book, I will say. I was I wondering about the, that. Is there some no, kind of... Uh... <laughs> No, I did ask thing. him. No, no, of course I asked him. I wouldn't have done it if he said otherwise. But um, what I came back to and of everything that anyone could think about saying, what's the one point? What's the one thing that, that, that you want to leave behind? So I think that's the right place to go here is just make smart choices. Just make good decisions. Whatever circumstance you're in, just do that. Right? If there's any one thing I could get through to him, and I still say it to him. <laughs> so, you know, he's back from school now. So it's a little slightly temporarily less relevant, but still relevant. Make good decisions. Make smart yeah. choices. Right? Yeah, so just trying to be a good dad, Tim. We're all just, we're not perfect, but we can only do our best. That's true. Well, that's awesome. I, and so that's a good kind of wrap here that people, if they want all the details of that letter, which to me was one of the more powerful parts of the book, there's a lot of great stuff, but to me, it, it really kind of encapsulates a lot of it, encapsulate a lot of the, um, I guess the theme, the message of the book. So thanks for sharing that. And I recommend people go, go get that. How can people connect with you? What are you willing to share? Where can they go get the book? Go ahead right now and just share that verbally. We'll put sure. things in the notes also, but Matt, tell us that. Where can people connect sure. with you? Thank you. Well, you know, one thing that uh, is, is direct to this question is the book in a way has no ending. We talked about Zisms and other people having that. And so I thought it was important to keep it open-ended and have a reader forum. So there's a, it's like a secret, you got the secret phrase, right, Tim? It's in the book. 
it's right the i can't tell you where where it is but uh it gets you into a private private group and just i want to continue to interact i want to build some community around the people and what they take from it and uh you know have these kinds of conversations so that's one way that certainly there's a i really look forward to enjoying that interaction um, certainly the book itself is, uh, is referenceable at, at a website, which is zisms.com. It's got the hyphen in it, um, internationally, z-isms.com. And, uh, and of course you can find it on Amazon, you know, the reviews have been very gracious and, um, just to see them and take the look inside and, and read it for free, right? There's enough there. And, you know, that's my purpose here is to hopefully get it into people's hands and have it help them. And, and you'll know if you want to keep reading. So thank yeah. you for the opportunity, Tim. I really sure. appreciate it. Very good. Matt, what's next for you? What's, what's next? I always like to ask people, what's next? And it could be extremely short-term, medium, long-term. What's next? Might get a beer. That might be a good idea. Well, yeah, um, that be. was my first instinct. Uh, well, certainly the Reader Forum is, you know, in terms of the, in, the endeavor here around the book, the Reader Forum uh, is, is really, I'm looking to see that happen. And, uh, and then I'm, as things unfold, I do think I want to get into some motivational speaking. I don't know what that is or how it's going to happen. I don't necessarily want to get into like a coaching business or do those kinds of things. Um, I have other things with the nonprofit and, and endeavors that I do, but I really, that, it's not quite in my comfort zone. Oh, I will say this. I'm not really quite comfortable yet with the videos, like doing my own videos and posting them on. Like that's not my, like I type my papers in college, right? I'm still trying to like catch up i know i'll never catch up but that's like my comfort zone right now and trying to expand is uh so that's next for me is trying to do more videos and uh and get them online and and i guess as people by the time you know they're hearing this hearing this now and they, they you know continues i'll have more up to uh to share so thank you yeah very good matt the the title of this podcast is seek go create three words powerful words which word jumps out at you and why as we finish up create. Yeah, I'd say create. Um, I, I always, when it comes to some of the content that I like over the years, I'm just like, create, 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 right? It's just, that's just, uh, that's, you know, being trying and looking to be a difference maker and just keeping the push forward. And, you know, the book's just part of the journey, right? And where do we go from here? And, and the creation is the contribution that we make to the world and, and fulfills us within. So that that's, that's my answer there. And then the beer, I'll have that after. Yeah, the beer. Yeah, that kind of goes with it. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it, taking the time with us. And I know it's been a blessing to people. If you would like to continue the conversation, we encourage and welcome you to do that. Go to seekgocreate.com. That's seekgocreate.com to comment on this episode or you could uh, go directly to the post or you could contact us via the contact us page. You can also find us and can commu communicate on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those are seek, go create. So join us there, put comments in, ask questions. I've also committed and I know Matt would even volunteer for this. If you ask specific questions for him or the, uh, or this episode, then I'll reach back out and see if we can get those answers. Thank you again for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you on the Seek Go Create podcast in the near future.